For those individuals or entities who are time-shifted, why not celebrate today as Thanksgiving? The actual date for that holiday is one week from today, but there are those north of a certain parallel who have already celebrated. All I know is that it is November 17th, 2022, and this is currently the latest installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement, a newsletter and podcast wrestling with the news, or at least calling informational missives by that name. Now, pass the imaginary gravy, please. On today's program, the University of Virginia will not hold a home football game this weekend as the football team and the rest of the community continue to grieve. A longtime Charlottesville city manager has died, a quick look at some projects in Albemarle County, and the Charlottesville Human Rights Commission wants to change their ordinance to be able to investigate fair housing claims and more. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, the Rivanna Conservation Alliance is inviting members of the public to a meeting tonight to get input on a proposed riverbank restoration project at Riverview Park in the city of Charlottesville. Riverview Park is the only public access to the Rivanna in Charlottesville and a heavily used and much-loved part of the community. Unfortunately, Riverview suffers from high rates of riverbank erosion and other environmental challenges that damage the Rivanna River and threaten the integrity of the park and the community's use and enjoyment of it. RCA and Ecosystem Services will provide updates on the project and to get your feedback. Visit rivannariver.org to learn more about the project. Register on Eventbrite for the event, which will be held at the Woolen Mills Chapel tonight at 7 p.m. It has now been nearly four days since someone used a gun to fire on several University of Virginia students who had just returned from a field trip to Washington, D.C., killing three of them and injuring two others. Yesterday, suspect Christopher Darnell Jones Jr. had his first appearance in Albemarle County Court. One of the injured has been through two surgeries, and another has been released from the hospital. Classes resumed yesterday at the University of Virginia, but there will be no home football game this Saturday, as the match against Coastal Carolina has been canceled. There's no word yet on the final home game with Virginia Tech. Here's President Jim Ryan in a video message sent yesterday. Instead, there will be a memorial service at 3.30 p.m. in JPJ to honor the lives of Devin Chandler, Lavelle Davis Jr., and Deshaun Perry, as well as the two students injured in the shooting, Mike Hollins and Marley Morgan. Ryan thanked students for organizing a silent vigil on Monday night. You've been through an extraordinarily difficult experience, including the loss of three students and the injuries to two others, but also a 12-hour ordeal of sheltering in place and the fear and uncertainty that attended each one of those hours, whether you were a student, faculty, staff member, or parent. The suspect had been flagged as a potential threat, and Ryan said that there are more questions to be asked. The criminal investigation is underway, and we are also inviting an external review with respect to the university's interactions with the suspect and whether we did all we could to prevent or avoid this tragedy. President Ryan said that may take some time to complete. For more detail on all of these stories, I recommend reading some other articles written by my colleagues in journalism. There's a list in the newsletter. 
A man who spent 25 years as the city manager of Charlottesville has died. Cole Hendricks served from 1971 to 1996 and presided over the conversion of Main Street into the downtown mall. Here's a section from a message sent out Wednesday by the city of Charlottesville. During his tenure, he provided stable, professional management and leadership and mentored many young public administrators. He and his wife, Janet, continued to be part of our community after his retirement. I spoke with Janet Hendricks in October at the studios of I Love Seaville on Market Street. He uh, came from Kansas City, Missouri. He went to school at K uh, KU, uh, got his master's in uh, public administration. Janet Hendricks said that Cole Hendricks worked a series of jobs in cities and towns across the United States before becoming assistant city manager in Kansas City. That's when he was offered the job in Charlottesville. He was just 36 when he came, just a pup. The area was a lot different 50 years ago. The old Kmart was, was a dairy farm, or behind there was a dairy farm. Janet met Cole during his tenure as city manager and said the workload for the position was a lot, even back then. Cole would come home every night and he would sit in his chair and he would work every night. Um, but he was home for dinner every night. Uh, council meetings, sometimes he wasn't home until one in the morning. Um, it's, that was just how it was. After retirement, Cole Hendricks went to work for the University of Virginia as an associate vice president. Last thing he, he did while I was at the university, he was the acting director of finance uh, while they were doing a search for a new finance director. Cole Hendricks would also play a frequent role as fill-in manager for towns and counties across Virginia when they were looking for a permanent occupant. He actually was hired uh, to stay for a while uh, in one at which he, they were develop, getting a new sewer treatment place together and they really needed his expertise and background in doing that and so he helped them with that. and. Uh, you know, it's it's been a great life. We've just, he, he's such a nice person. Hendricks died on Tuesday. There's a lot happening in Albemarle County, and not everything raises to the level of a full news story. So here's a quick update on three things happening in land use in Albemarle County. The Trading Post gas station and convenience store at 3017 Monacan Trail has applied for a certificate of appropriateness for a new fuel canopy, as well as new signage. Currently, the store is not branded by a major company, but the new sign will mark this as a BP station. A property owner in the Whitehall district is seeking a special use permit to bring an existing 73-unit manufactured home park on a nearly 15-acre parcel into compliance and to add another 14 units. The developer of Riverside Village on Stony Point Road seeks to amend an application plan and code of development for a prior rezoning to reduce the minimum amount of commercial required from 8,000 square feet. One space is currently vacant and the developer wants to convert it to residential. More on those land use applications in the future. Follow the week ahead on Sundays as well as this newsletter as often as possible for more if there's a story to be told.
You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second subscriber-supported shout-out, be a hunger hero. Bring an item to the front desk of any JMRL location during business hours between now and November 19th and receive $1 off overdue fines and late renewal fines for each donated item. Some of the most needed items are canned soups, stews, and chili, low sodium, canned veggies, low sodium, cereal, low sugar, whole grain, peanut or almond butter, low sugar, spaghetti sauce, also low sugar. Donations from most branches will go to the Blue Ridge Food Bank, though those in Louisa County will go to the Louisa County Resource Council. The Charlottesville Human Rights Commission meets tonight, 10 days after City Council held the first reading of a proposed change to the ordinance that would expand their ability to investigate discrimination claims. Here's City Councilor Michael Payne. It'll just give us a little bit more teeth to investigate and make judgments against fair housing law violations in the city. Charlottesville City Council voted 3-1 to one on May 20, 2013 to create the Human Rights Commission, with Mayor Sachandra Huja abstaining at the time. The commission was an outcome of something called the Dialogue on Race. Since then, the Human Rights Office has been through two directors and is currently led by Todd Niemeyer. Council was briefed on potential changes to the Human Rights Ordinance that could expand the powers of the Human Rights Commission. City councilors had already had the opportunity to ask Niemeyer questions through what city staff refer to as 2-2-1 meetings, where elected officials get briefings without forming a quorum that's required for a public meeting. During our 2-2-1s, I heard some, some basic questions about what the ordinance was, what what is the function of the commission and the Office of Human Rights, especially maybe just reiterating that for the public as well. The commission is seeking many changes to the ordinance to give them more power to investigate claims of discrimination. The contents of the ordinance are based on federal and state uh, human and civil rights law. And what the ordinance does is it provides processes for us to address unlawful discrimination within the city. And when we talk about within the city, we're talking about the corporate borders of the city. The Human Rights Office is within the city manager's office. It has three main tasks. One is to receive phone calls, emails, text messages, and walk-in visitors from community members who have claims. Another is to do outreach to make sure people know what the office does. In addition, we do education and awareness around um, issues of discrimination. The third role is to support the Human Rights Commission, which is set up to hear appeals if staff has determined a complaint is not valid. The commission's powers are fairly limited. They can either recommend that they go back to mediation or they can recommend to the city attorney that uh, a civil action be filed on behalf of the aggrieved party. But they can only recommend that. They can't grant any relief. They can't grant monetary relief, injunctive relief, none of that. That's not within the power of the commission. Now, the commission wants to change the ordinance in part to expand their investigative reach. We added language to make the ordinance substantially equivalent to federal fair housing law. That would allow the Office of Human Rights to be able to enter into a fair housing assistance program work share with the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. That will bring complaints into the Charlottesville office that may have originated elsewhere. 
So that's an additional responsibility, but the, the Federal Fair Housing Office will support us by providing training and guidance, funds for capacity building um, when we first start out in, in that work share agreement, and we also get reimbursement for handling complaints of discrimination, um, and, and those reimbursement rates vary upon how the, how the complaint is resolved. That will also allow the Office of Human Rights to enter into conciliation discussions as a third party directly involved with cases. The bar to making a finding also will change. The standard changes from probable cause above to reasonable cause because that's how federal law refers to the determinations in a case. Under this proposed change, if staff believe there is no reasonable cause for an alleged violation, the commission could hear the appeal and they could make a determination. Under the proposed change, the office can issue a charge against a violator. Once a charge is issued, it's basically a description of the violation and it's a it's a statement saying that a civil action will be filed by, in this case, the city attorney's office on behalf of the aggrieved person. Niemeyer repeated that he has had conversations with counselors about these in private meetings. Once the ordinance is adopted, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development will review the city's application. Here's a quote you just heard. City Councilor Michael Payne said the last city council had directed the Human Rights Commission to make these changes. He supports them. It'll just give us a little bit more teeth to investigate and make judgments against fair housing law violations in the city. Payne also wanted to know what the budgetary needs would be to add positions to deal with an expanded workload. The city has already committed one-time money from the American Rescue Plan Act for two positions. That will allow us to hire uh, an intake counselor as well as an investigator. Right now we're a two-person office. That will also increase the ongoing budget headed into the future when the federal funding runs out. Niemeyer said he is working now to get a job description for the intake position. He said the federal workshare program will increase the office's workload. Mayor Lloyd Snook said he wasn't so sure the ordinance was ready. He said it needed to clearly outline the responsibilities for landlords or others who would potentially be under investigation by the city. The part that most needs to be written at a fourth or fifth grade level is the part that says what you can't do. Snook said he was able to ask around 20 questions during his 2-2-1 with Niemeyer. He also urged caution in proceeding too quickly without having done all of the due diligence. Most of the time when we have made uh, hasty decisions, when we have done something that we didn't fully vet, fully think through, fully edit, uh, we've been dissatisfied with the results. After more discussion, Snook suggested that no vote be taken at the meeting. That having said all that, anybody else have anything else they want to say, or should we just basically table this until November 21st and take it back up then with whatever new drafts or anything else we may come up with? Does that make sense, folks? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, so we'll table it, and Mr. Niemeyer, see you in two weeks. In the meantime, the City Human Rights Commission meets tonight at 6.30 p.m. The packet includes recent minutes as well as a report for November. From this, we learn that the Human Rights Office has received six complaints this year for housing discrimination in Charlottesville and two in Albemarle. And that's the end of episode 460. 
We are a week away from Thanksgiving, and for the next week and a half, I may be producing fewer newsletters. I don't know my exact schedule at this moment, but I am going to take advantage of the downtime. There's a lot to rest up for in the future. In the meantime, thank you to all of the subscribers, paid and unpaid. I'm really glad to be able to write and produce this newsletter and podcast as often as I can, and I'm grateful to all who are following along. Extra thanks to the roughly one in four who have stepped up to support the work, either through a paid Substack subscription or by becoming a Patreon supporter. If you do support through Substack, Ting will match your initial payment. This is an extra layer of support that really does come in handy as I contemplate what the future may look like. I believe this work is important to do, and one in four of you are supporting me directly. And even if you don't sign up for a paid subscription to this newsletter, Ting still wants your business. And if you sign up through a link in the newsletter, you will get free installation, a $75 gift card to the downtown mall, and a second month for free. Just enter the promo code COMMUNITY. Now, on to the next one. Please share with people you think might be interested. Whether you're one of the one of four or one of the three and four, you are all important to me. Thanks for reading or listening. Goodbye.